0: Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. This is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. Feels like only a week ago that we were praying for telehealth to be implemented in GP clinics in the coming years. We pictured a gradual rollout, drip fed slowly by types of clinic or locations or services. It was the type of thing that could only be implemented in baby steps. There was simply no other way to disrupt the GP workflow to bring telehealth front of mind. Then yesterday, the baby not only took some steps, it did a triple backward somersault while running a marathon in under two hours, as in... It was announced that we have universal telehealth available in Australia. As Greg Hunt, the health minister, said, it's a decade's worth of work in a matter of days. It seems pretty apt that the only way to implement a disruptive solution like telehealth was to have a disruptive problem like COVID-19. Many of the tools that GPs need to enable all this are created by health tech providers. It goes beyond the obvious, though, which is just giving a doctor a phone and a Zoom login and saying, go nuts. There's a fair bit of infrastructure that's needed to make the COVID-19 screening process and teleconsults actually work. Healthcare providers around Australia have been working day and night to fast track new features and modify their existing products due to COVID-19. And the leader of four of those well-known companies are here live on this panel today. So around the room, we've got Ben Hurst, co-founder and CEO of HotDoc, Rami Weiss, co-founder of HealthShare, Tess Vanderright, CEO of Medinet, and Pete Williams, co-founder of Medipass. What's really cool as well is all of these panelists have previously appeared on the Talking Health Tech podcast. So they joined this elite club that I just made up for people who appeared not just once, but <laughs> twice on the show. As well, just to remind everyone who's attended this live event and people are still coming in, um, that this session's being recorded and it'll be released as a podcast in, in about a week's time. The benefit of, of attending now live though means you can chat away over on the right there. You can ask questions to people. I ask if you've got a question, try and ask it in the actual, in the question section. So that way as well, people can upvote your questions and we can answer those more effectively. Um, you can participate in polls, which I'll release shortly. And uh, you can even jump on stage and ask questions in person to the panel as well if you're really keen. Uh, Essentially, you can influence how this panel session goes. So, I'm absolving all responsibility back on you just in case it's a massive failure. No, I I actually don't (laughs) think it'll be a failure, but it should be okay. So, I'm going to put some polls up in a a tick uh, just while I for everyone to kind of go through and answer and get a bit of a pulse check on who we have attending. But while they answer those, I might go around to the panelists and just get them to introduce who they are and, and why they're here. Rami, did you want to start things off?
1: Sure, Pete. Hey everyone. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be on here. So I'm one of the co-founders of HealthShare. Uh, HealthShare is a Australian uh, digital health company started about 10 years ago in 2010 and we built a number of tools to support doctors and patients to help make better informed health decisions and some of those tools we'll talk about today, how we've adapted that for COVID-19, um, but we're really trying to look at how can technology be used to support
2: both doctors and patients in their healthcare journey.
0: Thank you. Ben? Um,
2: hi, I'm Ben. I'm CEO, co-founder of Hot Doc. HotDoc's been going for seven years. We basically, we try and help patients and doctors communicate more effectively when patients are outside the consulting room. We currently have about 16,000 GPs on board and also like Rami, really keen to do our bit to help with the COVID situation.
3: Thank you. Pete, over to you. Sure, I'm Pete Williams, the co-founder and co-CEO of MIDIPass. And last year we launched a new suite of services for claiming to government bodies that specifically included telehealth. So this is an interesting application of telehealth and we're looking at it in the context of claiming and payments. Thank you, Antes.
4: Hi, um, I'm Tess Vandereit, the CEO of Medinet, formerly Patient Connector. Um, in a nutshell, we are a telehealth platform specifically for GPs um, where patients can speak with the Australian registered GP at any time of the day from anywhere specifically though beyond just being able to speak with the GP you can access any medical documents you can in a brick and mortar so prescriptions medical certificates pathology referrals etc so it's enabling the what's next after seeing the GP as well
0: amazing thank you I'm just going to publish uh one or two more polls just so we can get a bit of a feel on who we have and so the attendees There's a few in there now. There's one about, is telehealth here to stay? Already most people who have answered said definitely for sure. Other people have said, only one person said only for as long as COVID-19. And then a few people have said only if it's done well. In terms of when people think things will get back to normal, people are still answering that. I'll I'll call on that in the tick. Who are you? That's in there, that's important. We can check those all back in a second. So we'll wait for people to answer those questions and we'll come back. While people are answering those questions, um, it'll be really good to to uh, dig deep into uh, what what the panelists are doing with their their technologies to be able to uh, I guess help with uh, with the COVID nineteen situation. So set the scene, guys. Tell us what you've already built within your products for COVID nineteen. So I'm going to go around to each of you as well to answer that one. Let's go the same the same order again because I'm not that creative. Rami. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Uh, so there's there's two of our products that. Uh, relevant in terms of COVID-19, what we've done. Uh, one is our healthshare.com.au website. Uh, so that gets around 800,000 uh, uniques a month, uh, essentially made up of patients and also health professionals accessing the website to get uh, evidence-based health information. Uh, and since the COVID outbreak, we've added a COVID-19 section on the website. We've added a Q&A forum where people can come in and ask questions and get answers from health professionals. Uh, we also have uh, fact sheets uh, and other resources where we're trying to keep it as up-to-date as possible, which is not easy when there is so much changing all the time. Um, but that's one of the areas that we've updated on our website to try and give anyone accessing there their opportunity to learn more uh, about the COVID-19 situation. Um, and the second uh, area that we've tackled the problem uh, is in our Better Consult product, which is a pre-consultation clinical questionnaire that patients fill out before seeing the doctor. Uh, so before COVID-19, and um, the product was capturing the agenda of the patient, the symptoms, medications, all the key information that would be relevant for the doctor to help support them in the consultation. Uh, we took all those answers that the patients gave and then translated that into a medical summary uh, to give to the doctor. So when the patient walked in, they knew why they were coming to see them. Uh, since COVID-19, we've added a few uh, extra questions around overseas travel and have they been in contact uh, with any confirmed COVID 19 case as part of the questionnaire. And we also generate an email alert now to the practice uh, so that anyone who has answered in a positive uh, to some of those combinations of questions will be alerted. Um, the practice will be alerted so that they can then call them and tell them not to come into the practice. So that's been a really uh, popular feature that the practice we've turned on have reported back on. But what we're trying to do. Uh, overall with the product is really support practices, support doctors, try and use the resources because right now we're just hearing story after story about how inundated they are. Patients coming in with limited resources to deal with everything. So any support we can provide there is, is very valuable.
0: Amazing. Thank you. I didn't just lose electricity here or lose my lights. It's just every half an hour my lights seem to turn off if I've not been standing, which is a good way to make sure I'm doing my steps. So what I'm going to do <laughs> is hand over to uh, to to Ben to give a bit of an overview on what you guys are doing as well while I walk around my desk.
2: Yeah, cool. So I guess our like main jam in online bookings. So a lot of the stuff we've done is around enhancing that. Uh, I guess like we see our role is in helping to keep the staff at medical centres as safe as possible and providing a good patient experience. A focus for us is triage. Uh, We had half a million patients go through our online booking engines last month um, to be screened for um, COVID um, risk symptoms, um, which hopefully meant that there were 500,000 fewer panicky phone calls to reception staff. Um, We have also enabled um, telehealth functionality, really focusing on that kind of like end-to-end integration, um, which is going to enable... um, phone bookings, um, and soon to enable um, video and payments for GAP. And the last thing, we have also helped with the the pop-up respiratory clinics. We were lucky enough to, to win that tender, so we're going to be starting to roll out to about $100 of those. There are the three things we're doing.
0: A lot of, a lot of things happening. Busy times. Um, so busy. Pete, what's happening at Medipass?
3: Yeah, well, we're, we've been working from home the last uh, almost three weeks now, so that's exciting stuff. Uh, aside from that, uh, telehealth has always been core to our platform, so we've been supporting this uh, for about a year now, and that's to private health insurers, to government bodies, and then also for patient out-of-pocket, so if someone just wants to pay via credit card. We've mapped in all the different COVID items, and that applies for things like DVA, uh, Medicare, iCare New South Wales with the New South Wales compensatory funding body and then we accelerated a few things this week to make it easier so that providers can accept a card payment so if like a patient just wants to read out their card number over a telehealth console, they can do that and a provider can type all that stuff in and get a claim or get a payment lodged through without having to access a physical terminal or their traditional practice management software.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And Tess, what's happening at Medinet?
4: Sure. So Medinet, as I mentioned, was a GP telehealth platform. So we always started with, um, you know, a, a summary at the start of the consultation. So we um, created a specific pathway for consumers if they did think they were at risk of COVID-19 to do a coronavirus assessment, which was essentially presented as a health summary to the doctor at the start of the consult. So they already knew the specifics and um, the patient had answered the national triage protocol. We also implemented a lot earlier than anticipated the ability for a doctor to generate a pathology referral. So if they've then applied the criteria and determined that that patient is at risk and hit the criteria, then they can generate a pathology referral. We then um, direct the patient to to the different options in their their state based on location. We've been quite consumer focused in the, the history of the company, but now we've got a lot of our doctors where we used to have the early adopters on, and now we've got a lot of the laggards, and their needs are very very. Different different so because of course you know the whole business model for medical practices has changed right now so we're now having to build a number of features to to satisfy those different the different doctor types
0: cool excellent that's amazing i think we've, we've we're covering a few, there's only a few things that you guys kind of cross over on what it demonstrates to me is that you know th- this enabling telehealth is so much more than just you know like i mentioned before is you know jumping on the phone or or, or, you know cracking open a a zoom session so there's there's all this kind of extra workflow stuff that that goes around it but then i think though when I put my business hat on, I think, oh, well, th- this this presents an amazing opportunity for you guys and, and, and you know, we're all in the health tech game and I look at, you know, who's attending this event, you know, 65% of people who are listening in are also from health tech companies. So, it's a lot of people here are all around the health tech space but how much is, like, what you guys are doing and I, and I guess what other, um, you know, audience members are doing, how much of this would be your performing, you know, genuine acts of kindness or doing, you know, doing good for GPs versus, you know, just software companies trying to make money in like a, a market situation. Ben, how, how does how have you guys kind of positioned it for you for, for hot dog?
2: Um yeah I'm just an evil capitalist trying to try <laughs> to make as much money as possible. Um I, I don't think it's either. It's not like oh wow like world domination and it's not like some sort of special gesture for the industry. I think when I like I see that telehealth is important um, as a um, modality for healthcare, and I think it's a shame that it's taken this long and it's taken a pandemic to usher it in. And so, I guess my self-interest, um, and hopefully, you know how that manifests, as a good thing for for the community. is Is the ability to to build some really cool technology that helps doctors provide good healthcare remotely, and to be part of that is is really exciting. Uh, so, I think it's I think we're all lucky here because. A lot of our peers are currently you know, working for companies where there's not a lot to do and, you know, we have a huge amount of purpose and that's, that's really exciting.
0: Mm. I should have put an additional question in the poll there. If we a majority of health tech companies, well, like 65% of attendees are um, health tech companies and there's 10% of them are healthcare professionals. Um, I should put a question of how many hours of sleep that people are getting at the moment, because I think that a lot of a lot of people are, are, d- are pulling all nighters to get some of these solutions up. Rami, did, did you have anything else um, to add to that point about how you know how you're positioning all this extra work that you're doing in relation to COVID nineteen?
1: Yeah, look, uh, and I think all the panelists uh, I know personally and, and everyone got into this game because we believe that technology can help make a difference for the positive of the healthcare. Ecosystem, and at the end of the day, everyone's affected by their health, themselves, their family members, and I think all of us feel that if technology can play a role in making it better, that's a win-win for everyone. Now, obviously, we're all not not for profits. You know, we need to um, also be a commercial entity, but I don't think that's the guiding purpose for ourselves, and certainly for ourselves, definitely not. But also, I don't think for any of the panelists. And from our perspective, healthshare.com.au is a free resource for people to use. The more people that use it, the better, but we're not charging for access. The same with Better Consult, we're not charging practices for accessing it. So from our perspective, the technology is for good. We think it's helping Certainly, the feedback we're hearing from doctors and from practices and from patients is that it's supporting them. So I think it can be a win-win for both sides.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. It's a good answer. Hey, Pete, uh, as the, the billing guy... Um, you're much more than a billing guy. You're you're being delegated this this the answer to this one. And there's been some updates about you know the MBS items, and le- le- there's always you know there seems to be like hourly updates about COVID nineteen generally. But g- give everyone a bit of an update on what what the situation actually is in relation to telehealth and billing now.
3: Yeah, it's changed pretty rapidly. So from just a couple of weeks ago, the very first telehealth items were released, and only for those patients who were isolated or vulnerable, or providers who in a similar category. Since then, there's been four releases or updates to the MBS schedule, and it now was just updated again uh, for application today that now includes allied healthcare providers. And that's all allied healthcare providers who were previously doing things like mental health services, which always had a telehealth component, but now it includes other providers like occupational therapists, physiotherapists. Uh, audiologists for delivering chronic disease management. And I think that's a really important move in the allied health segment, because a lot of these are follow-up sessions that can be done remotely. And now we have support built in from Medicare. And we expect that to follow pretty shortly for DVA as well. The only other thing I'd add in, it is incredible change. So last August, there was 84 different telehealth items. Now there's 363. Wow. So it's increase significantly.
0: That's huge. That's huge. Um, hey, Tess, like when I look at, say, guide, like there's a lot of guides online for, for GPs to help them how to on how to perform telehealth now. And and I, I feel like a lot of them, it depends on who releases it, but a lot of the kind of vanilla ones will say, well... Get, get a phone and do what you have done previously. Like doing telehealth for doctors, a lot of the times I hear, you know, that's a good start. You should you should just start with that use the phone. And like if you've not start, had any other technology before, what would be your advice to a GP who's not done any telehealth, who's looking to do it? Yeah,
4: I found it interesting in the release from the RACGP yesterday. They purposely made it clear that, um, you know, these items are tech agnostic. So they didn't want to be, um, you know, Backing any horse. And they said if you need be, literally pick up the phone. Um, And I mean it's true, they can literally pick up the phone and have their PMS open and it it can be effective. Obviously, there's some disadvantages to that. The biggest one that medical practices raise is well, I need to give them a prescription. What do I do? How do I get it to them? And so there's this huge administrative burden where it's either getting staff to, you know, fax it or email it to the pharmacy and then having to post it um, the, the original script. So there's a lot of logistics involved that can be quite challenging around telehealth. It's funny, actually, we just had an article in the MGA, uh, which was one of our doctors providing advice on how to do get good telehealth. And it's interesting with, you know, even video or audio, but um, the, the way that you can actually do physical examinations, you can teach a patient how to conduct a physical examination on themselves. Obviously, it's not suitable for every case. And that's where they've said, like, everyone should be keeping their brick and mortar practices open. But it's amazing how much people have really pushed the envelope in the past four weeks to, you know, do whatever they can to make the clinical care to the same standard, which, to be honest, a lot of people just looked at telehealth and thought, no way, never going to do it
0: can't do it totally totally ben did you have anything else to add in relation if there was another doctor that's interested in getting started with telehealth where they should start i think that
2: uh i attended a a gp meeting the other day and i I found their sort of their concerns were really interesting because i think being so used to this like in-person model of care it, it sort of seems foreign but it's actually pretty similar so i guess my first thing is like don't panic i think my second thing and this just came up and it's a small point but there are some things that telehealth is, is absolutely fine for. Mental health, for example, um, some things not so great. And I think it's really important for um, doctors to, to provide like good expectations at the outset of the consult, because I think it's possible that they might find that they can't do everything they want to do for the patient over the phone or by video. And so to let the patient know that, you know, they'll do everything they can, but it's possible that it may need to end up being a, a an in-person visit. Um, I think that, that can be a piece of advice that sometimes, mm. consider. um, yeah, definitely my two little tidbits.
0: Rami, did you have anything else to add? Um, the other thing I
1: would add, one of the things that's been interesting with the telehealth change that we're hearing from a lot of doctors is that history taking is a lot more challenging than what they're used to from the face-to-face environment. So that's one of the areas that we've heard positive feedback on our Better Consult product is that by getting the history in advance, they can actually, they feel like it's a more effective interaction inside the telehealth environment. So I think that that's an interesting point that Doctors are so used to the face-to-face and reading the body language and and just having that in-person feel for how the patient is, even not necessarily what they're answering, but how they look when they're answering. I think trying to work out through the telehealth um, channel how that can be as close to effective as possible, I think it's uh, an interesting learning that we're hearing from doctors that they're going through.
0: Mm, agree. Hey, just a reminder to attendees, you can not only answer the polls, but you can also um, distract us all by sending chat messages (laughs) over on the side, but importantly, you can also ask questions too. So, um, you know, we've reserved a little bit of time in this uh, webinar for a bit later on to go through any of those questions, but we'll continue on with the questions that we've got here and uh, we'll we'll check those in a little bit. Um, uh, Pete, from your perspective, So if I look at and actually just for all the attendees as well, sorry, all the the panelists, when I look at some of the answers that people have given, you know, is telehealth here to stay? You know, given that a lot of people are tech, uh, health tech people, that's a lot of people, 52% of attendees have said for sure, which is, which is great. Uh, 41% said only if it's done well, which seems like a sensible answer. But also when, when, when asked, you know, when will things get back to normal? 44% of attendees said, you know, in more than six months, uh, you know, 15% of people said there's no normal anymore. So it, it's, you know, how do you, um, get, get on this horse that like it, it's something that we're going to have to, like, if I was a GP, it's not something that, it's, this isn't a passing trend. This is something that you kind of have to make a, make a call about in, in, in getting involved with telehealth, I think. Um, so, so what, but what would be some of the biggest obstacles for, then I look at the industry, the wider adoption of telehealth services across Australia. What would be some of the obstacles
3: there? Yeah, so I I think there's a few different things. There's been some concerns raised around privacy that I've heard from a number of providers and having access to the right patient history and clinical notes that Ben and Rami talked about earlier. But I think even aside from those things, and certainly before COVID, there's already a wide adoption of telehealth. We were seeing it come through. So if you go back to January and February this year, uh, Bushfire Relief Fund introduced telehealth for everyone that was impacted by bushfires. And previous to that in November, you had those with eating disorders and occupational therapists, psychologists, social workers were eligible to use telehealth. So we're already seeing a large increase on it. And we actually ran the numbers that, at least for Medicare, there was a 43% growth year-on-year last year from the previous year in telehealth consultations. So this is already getting wider adoption. I think it's just people becoming familiar and comfortable with delivering services when it's not a face-to-face.
0: Great. Right. Ben, do you have anything else to add in relation to that?
2: I think it's kind of interesting, like, if you think about why this hasn't happened sooner. And I feel like um, when the after-hours Medicare budget blew out, the government has ever since been quite paranoid um, that offering this new rebate item was going to do the same thing. But I just don't, don't see that happening. And I think the government is going to learn that this, in fact, is a more economically rational way to deliver healthcare, care um, and they're going to save a lot of money and so when you know these three four five seven eight months of COVID outbreak weirdness is over they'll kind of go hey this was actually a really good experiment that we've accidentally run and we should completely continue to do this.
0: Totally. Tess did you have anything else to add in relation to that?
4: Yeah I think that um I agree with what Ben said around the, the rationalisation of the, the importance of telehealth and I think particularly for preventative health, like the, the fact that doctors can now look at a patient's, um, see they've got, you know, chronic comorbidities and chronic conditions, see that they haven't been in for a number of months and can then proactively reach out and conduct a consult. I think is amazing for preventative health. I am very interested to see if they'll hang around forever. My actually guess is that they won't because of the reasons everyone has already raised, that it will just be too expensive. And I do think that the demand on the MBS item numbers will increase because, to be honest, it's too convenient for patients. There's this natural triage process to have to book in a consult to physically go. That is a natural way for for patients to be triaged. What I have seen is I mean, we've had a lot of doctors who we spoke two months ago who said telehealth way too progressive, no way. And then they've been, you know, reaching out to us saying, How how do we make this happen? ASAP. So they've been forced to do so. And the same with patients. They're not worried about COVID nineteen, but you know, they need their antibiotics and they say I've never would have used telehealth. I didn't want to turn up to my medical practice, so I've tried it out. Hey, this is pretty cool. I'm going to keep using it. So I, I do think that there's going to be demand from both patients and doctors more. But whether the the government can keep it up long term, I think that's a more challenging, you know, question.
0: Hey, m- moving on. So, I, I, firstly, thank you to the attendees who are writing some questions in the uh, on the side there. For anyone else who who can't think, who doesn't want to ask a question but wants to uh, upvote some of those to have the answer, then please do that. So I'll give some time for those. I can see a lot starting to flood in now, which is great. So so just to, uh, around to each panellist for a moment in relation to your solutions. So for some clarity, oh, it depends. I, I, in different ways, some of you are, are more skewed towards telehealth and, and, and other times you do other general services as well for clinicians. So obviously it, it, that, that's the main focus right now. But is this... Can a clinician use your services uh, just for telehealth if they didn't want to join you anyway? Or do they have to come on board with you to then use your telehealth services? Rami, I might start with you. How would that work for, say, a doctor who might want to use you just for telehealth? Does that even work?
1: Yeah, I think we're more part of the clinical software. So if they're using the clinical software, then they can use us for telehealth or in person or or whatever, um, whatever modality they want to. So we're just there to support the, the GP regardless of the consultation.
0: And and I think the answer is pretty obvious for you, Ben, as well, but you, it, it would be that you'd use you for appointments, I guess, and then... Yeah,
2: I, think, I mean, bookings is sort of like our core business and sort of the value of the telehealth solution that we bring to market is giving a patient an easy way to see a real-time availability and for that to sort of get integrated with the appointment book. So... Um, we don't have a just telehealth solution outside of that, but we kind of see that as being, you know, telehealth in its own way. Mm, mm, mm.
0: And Pete, obviously people bill for a number of things other than telehealth. So that's, they they wouldn't just use you for billing telehealth.
3: No, telehealth is admittedly a small part of the things that we do. I've, I've always found it was an exciting area because it was one of those service delivery options that we wanted for people in my immediate family. So, I'm I'm excited to see the adoption
0: here. Tess, how does that work for you being a bit more consumer focused?
4: Yeah, I mean, te- telehealth is our, our bread and butter. I mean, you can book an appointment in a brick and mortar, but even then now uh, they're channeling everyone to use telehealth by default. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's really, it's pretty hard to avoid that. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I, I might start looking at the questions over on the side there, and I'm going to um, direct this one to you, Tess, while while your microphone's on, so to speak. How are you managing prescribing and prescription fulfilment via telehealth? A few people have upvoted that one as well. Did you want to dig into that in a bit more detail?
4: Sure. So um, essentially within the app, so we have a patient app and a doctor app. And so within the consult, the patient can, uh, sorry, the doctor can prescribe medication. Um, So using our software, they generate their own scripts. At the end of the consultation, we have a medications tab and the patient can choose to have it delivered or pick it up from their local pharmacy. That then is um, they input their regular pharmacy. We send that script via encrypted email to that preferred pharmacist and then the paper script is sent from the practice within three business days after the fact. So the... The patients are satisfied because they're getting their their medication immediately and from from wherever they want it. And um, the pharmacist is still getting the legal um, documents from the practice to make sure it's all above board. Obviously, that will all change with e-prescription.
0: Of course, of course. Great, thank you. Look, j- just to some other general questions as well. While others kind of prioritise the questions that are in there, and thanks, Pete. I can see you're answering a couple of questions in there already, so <laughs> we can we can answer some by chat. You're an efficient guy. Um, <laughs> uh, but if if we're just looking over here, so other than um, communication technologies, what, so like are there other tools that you guys recommend, f- like to effectively deliver telehealth? sessions. So is it just that, that if they used you and their communication tools that things would be great? Well, like What would be some of the, the toolkit for telehealth services you'd recommend for, for GPs to pick up? Um, and you don't have to recommend any particular vendors in particular, but the types of services, whatever you're comfortable in kind of talking about. Pete, I might start with you.
3: Yeah. Uh, so I, look, I, I won't go into specific vendors, but I think cloud-based services is really coming to light here so there's a number of providers who are reliant on desktop installed applications and if you're now isolated at home as a provider that doesn't really follow you nor does the clinical history so I think whatever the solution is you should be looking at something that supports a cloud-based model where you can access patient records you can take care of bookings you can manage your practice remotely as a team and, and Second to that, um, I have a big focus on security and privacy, so I would take a look at those tools and applications.
0: Oh, did Pete just disappear? Yeah, he did.
3: Such, Such an answer
0: okay. as well. <laughs> sorry, well, he did really well. I'm going to repeat the whole thing. But look, uh, <laughs> um, Rami, was there anything that you wanted to add to that while Pete comes back in relation to any tools that you'd recommend for GP? Uh,
1: I actually didn't hear anything that Pete was saying, but uh, what, what was the summary, Pete?
3: Oh, it, It's to use cloud-based tools that you're able to access patient history and continue managing your practice no matter where you may physically be. And the second part of it is to follow on and look at solutions that have been through some level of security and privacy validation. I think that's really important that coincides with any cloud-based solution. You should be looking for those that have been through some rigorous testing and evaluation of their controls.
0: Cool. Rami, did you have anything else to add to that?
3: Yeah, I think
1: those are two great ones. I mean, there's another one in the questions tab that uh, Robert Best uh, wrote. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rob. Nice to see you online here, mate. Uh, Talking about uh, remote patient monitoring. Uh, And I think that's always been an interesting area, right? The GP has such a short amount of time to spend with the patient. What kind of data uh, can be captured through these uh, devices that can then be summarised and provided to the doctor to support them inside that limited time window with the patient uh, to either tweak their treatment or um, have a discussion with them what they're doing outside of the face-to-face consultation. And we sort of see a similar thing with with better consult in our history taking is that any sort of information gathering that can be summarized, that's concise, that can help support the doctor in the consultation I think is, is really valuable. The tricky part is always how do you not overwhelm the doctor because they do have such a short period of time, how do you not give them tons and tons of information? And we've seen that, I think, with the My Health Record, is that it might be nice that there's all these streams of data out there, but how much time can a doctor possibly spend to interpret it all? So I think okay. there's a way to really combine everything really nicely. Um, and we're trying to do our bit on that, but there's obviously other data points as well. I think that's a really valuable thing to help make the telehealth consultation as efficient as possible.
0: Thank you. Um, ben, did you have anything else to add in relation to sp- specifically the remote patient monitoring component or any other tools that would be useful for a GP to, to check out to really enable them to be successful in this period?
2: Yeah. I mean, remote patient monitoring is additionally useful given that um, early patients are the most vulnerable to COVID. And so being able to offer as many data um, points as seemingly possible for GPs and other doctors to make good clinical decisions is has never been more important. So. Yep, 100%. Prove that. Mm. Um, last week we were sort of, you know, we were seeing a significant reduction in appointment volumes for our um, GP customers, and so we were, we were, you know, and we were acting or we we're thinking this uncertainty of, you know, maybe the the universal rebates might not be quite so, so generous. And, and so, I guess that the concern, both from you know Hubdoc's own business continuity, as well as like just genuinely thinking about our customers, was well, what what happens when they're not able to get the patient volumes and bill you know the item numbers they're used to, and and how can we perhaps help? Um, and and something that we feel pretty strong about is is. Um, digital therapeutics and the idea of using programs that help patients be more proactively engaged in their healthcare um, and especially around mental health. There are a lot of like really, really good programs um, that both encourage patients to to sort of take more ownership of, of what they're doing um, and and start sort of like not just relying on a you know a appointment with a psychiatrist or psychologist, but actually you know go through their own modules with some sort of an component. Um, and that can be a great way for them to have more frequent engagements with their with their primary care provider. So I think I think digital therapeutics is also something that you know might wear its head a little bit more during the time.
0: Cool, thank you. I might stick with with you on this one, Ben, and then I'll throw over to Pete for any kind of comments. And and it comes from my own genuine interest as well. I guess especially since um, you know the majority of people who have joined this this session are. Health tech vendors themselves and probably wanting to get involved in the telehealth space to be able to help out or to expand out their services. So, so Matt Jones in the chat area is asked, do you think patients will be as willing to pay out of pocket for telehealth? I'm going to broaden that question out a little bit. And just from your own perspectives, I guess everyone on the panel, I'm just going to mood lighting now. Everyone on the panel, um, uh, with, telehealth it's always been a thing that you know for it to happen then patients could patients would need to pay for it because we we can do telehealth now it's just that a patient needs to pay for the services so do pay, have patients paid for it up until this point and then now that we've got these um, item numbers do you think patients will be willing to pay for you know like a nice like component on top, or are they just going to be expecting it as, as always
3: bulk-billed? Yeah, so a, a lot of these items are bulk bill only. In fact, this is a, a new change from Medicare where they've released new a new funding mechanism with a caveat that you can only bill as a provider up to the MBS rate. And with that means that you as a provider can't charge an additional amount on top of that. So that includes like a service booking, or anything else if you do charge a uh, patient on it and subsequently claim you're supposed to refund that entire amount to the patient before issuing a claim so this is quite unique and different from the rest of the uh, mbs scheme where you as a provider can choose to charge in excess of the mbs rates you will then charge the patient presumably using a credit card, and then you could submit a patient claim where the patient gets the rebate on it. Now that applies to a lot of the traditional or legacy telehealth items, and you can still do that, but if you're using the new COVID-19 ones, and I believe the same applies for the bushfire relief, that those are are bulk bill only ones, so you won't be able to do it. But if it's outside of Medicare and the patient doesn't qualify for a Medicare service, it might be a private health or it might be something that is unfunded there, And, and certainly as a provider, you want to be able to do a patient um, direct service on that. And so patients will just have to pay for it and seek, hopefully seek reimbursement from their insurer after that.
0: Yes, true. You could always go it to the insurer afterwards if they've got their private health insurance. Pete, do you find that, you know, do you have any data or your insights broadly about how much patients have been willing to pay for telehealth up until this point?
3: Oh, well, it really varies by profession, so I you know, I wouldn't put a price point on it. Um, it's quite different for allied-based services from psychology services and then for GP. Um, but what we typically find is that a lot of providers actually are okay with the bulk bill rates, so even though a number of providers will say they don't want to accept it, in reality, yeah, even for allied health, 65% of Medicare claims are still bulk billed, which is obviously the majority of it. And those that choose to charge more, there's a lot of great reasons for that, especially those who have a subspecialization. Uh, we, we find the indexing on it is between uh, 30 and 40% above the bulk bill rate.
0: Um, while, But before I ask you a similar question, Ben, I'm just going to throw to the audience as well to prepare. If anyone wants to this is where we start going rogue, I'm going to invite anyone to come on stage in a second to ask their own question direct to the panel too. So that means that your camera and audio will show up and that means then as long as you don't swear, then you'll be uh, also on the podcast as well and and don't... You you can be abusive to us, but not too much. We're pretty thick-skinned. So that's... (laughs) <laughs> let us just make it happen. Um so if you're keen just put in the chat um that you'd like to come on stage and um I'm not even going to vet your question, we'll just see how we go. Um so Ben just back to you for a second on a similar question to that we asked to Pete. Um you know, you see a lot of the the I think from last kind of stats I saw you've got like 40% of GPs in Australia use use uh um hotdoc. So what kind of um uh, like sentiment have you seen from the GP market for uh, GPs to charge for for telehealth services even before all of this or for patients to pay for them? Do you have any insights on that?
2: Yeah, it's, um, so it's it's been muddied a little by what Pete was talking about that you can't charge the gap fee up until now. And so that suddenly, you know, that that patient who is maybe for an $80 privately billed appointment that was getting close to 40 bucks back suddenly they're going from paying 40 bucks to 80 bucks so obviously that's not something that is just going to be swallowed easily um, we've heard we've heard whispers that GPS will be able to charge a gap fee in the coming days but like we'll see we'll see what happens um, we're definitely seeing demand from our mixed and private billing customers. Um, That's their business model. Um, And and their business model is also to provide a differentiated service from bulk billing providers. And so not having that, even just having any price point is important to sort of to show to patients that, you know, that you're getting um, something slightly different. Um, So we're definitely getting a lot of demand, but we haven't been able to see many good consumer side metrics just because... Um, it's just like patients aren't going to pay that full amount if they don't get a repay um, with a smile on their face.
0: Mm, Totally. Um, Just looking over at the questions, I can see uh, Steve uh, has asked for a bit of insight from, like to get a general idea of volume of telehealth pre and post-COVID, um, it would you be able to tell us roughly how many telehealth appointments are being booked or uh, completed on platforms on a weekly basis? Um, I don't know, what, what's like, what, what's your take on, on this? Uh, we'll go with tests firstly, like pre-COVID, how many kind of telehealth consults do you think would occur? And, and now what? what's your kind of guess on what will actually
3: happen?
4: So, I mean, our, our personal our company's numbers within two weeks went changed um, tenfold. Um, that was before 8am this morning when every single person with a Medicare card can access a GP online for free. So um, that was, yeah, quite, quite niche up until now. So uh, I think unless you have a particular medical condition that you require a physical examination, Um, To be frank, it's the doctors themselves that are doing everything they can to keep people at home. So it's only when the the doctors have actually, um, you know, said it's okay to come in that they will allow them to do so. So, I mean, where where some medical practices I've spoken with have said they're aiming to do about 80% of their consults um, via telehealth. And they will have dedicated hours from um, after 4 p.m., when, um, you know, allocated slots that one patient comes in at every, any given time. So, it's the medical practices that I think are really the ones that are going to be di- dictating the extent that telehealth is being used. Um,
0: and, yeah, it's going to be very, very high. Interesting. Hey, Rami, because I, I would think for you, like, if, if I've got this right, for you particularly with uh, Better Consult, you would have been super busy up until this point uh, with, you know, clinics really wanting to, oh, I guess you're always going to be busy, but, you know, till this point before telehealth where, you know, patients need to come into the practice. So that screening tool is really, really important. Um, now with telehealth, how does that impact you and what, what, what do you see as kind of the split between telehealth and non-telehealth now with these MBS items coming in place? And then how, uh, how does HealthShare, just to be really clear, how does HealthShare kind of continue to help in that process now that we've got these telehealth things in place?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm actually not sure what, how many of the GPs using Better Consult are doing telehealth versus in person, because, as I mentioned earlier, from our perspective, we're just capturing the history and we're providing a summary to the doctor to support them in the consultation. So I'm actually not sure what the change has been before or after. In terms of interest from practices, that's skyrocketed just because of the um, COVID questions that we've been adding and some of the, the work we're doing on that front. Um, so that's been a huge step change. But in terms of telehealth versus not, I'm not actually sure on that. That's more been anecdotal that we've just been hearing from GP saying since we've gone to telehealth, we're finding that the history taking that you're doing is actually really helping us um, in that modality. But I'm not sure what the actual numbers are.
0: Thank you. Um, so firstly, for the panellists, I'll give you an opportunity to just have a look at some of those questions there. And if you, if you really want to answer any of those, because we're just running close to, to time, then feel free to jump in while I... Uh, give you that chance. I'll also just remind anyone if they want to jump on stage and ask a question, they can. We've got quite a few attendees and no one's put their hand up. Um, That's okay.
1: Maybe you should just push someone in from the crowd.
0: I can. (laughs) It's kind of like like literally pushing them onto the stage and then they go, oh. Exactly. I'm going to guess a lot of people in their pyjamas, I'm not sure, but there's a, you know, (laughs) the trick is you keep the top half professional. It's kind of like a mullet. Um, So... (laughs) So uh, it's a question about TGA approval. I'm not sure if that's, is that relevant in this particular, Matt Jones has asked about uh, is anyone getting TGA approval for telehealth services through their platform? Um, ben, how does the TGA come into this? Do you see any of that at all?
2: No, I mean, we've, we've been aware that there are some changes around how software is going to be in the future seen to have sort of similar applications to medical devices. I, I don't think it's relevant. In the here and now, but it's definitely something that we have thought about previously. Um, so, but but not 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 certainly not for um, the COVID outbreak.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm getting text messages from some of my staff saying I would jump in, but I'm not appropriately dressed. So I don't know how to respond to that. But um, <laughs> as long as they're servicing clients professionally without video, then that's then that's good the joys of this current climate. Hey, look, what I'll do, I'll just give an opportunity for uh, the panelists to talk about what they've got coming up in their priorities over the next month or two. Uh, and what people will expect to see from them and then we'll close and that'll be an opportunity to close out as well, given that we're near close to time. So we'll start with Rami. Uh, what's what's on the horizon for you guys in the next month or two?
1: Well, I think a lot of it will be driven by the changing regulations and you know, the situation that's happening here. What I told you last week is already out of date from what happened the week before and the week before that. So <laughs> it's really changing very quickly. Uh, what I hope is that we can be as nimble as possible to make changes as close to real time as they happen, because practices are relying on us um, when it comes to this and our job has to be to adapt quickly. Um, So I'm not sure what the next month will bring, except for I know our team's working really hard Um, and it's done an amazing job and we'll continue to adapt as as the situation changes and we're just continuing to speak to as many doctors as possible as many practice practices as possible and understanding how else we can help and hopefully we can adapt quickly enough on that front as
0: well thank you pete what's happening at medipass in the next couple of weeks or months
3: uh yeah uh, rolling out some more integrated funders so i mentioned we just went live with uh iCare New South Wales, and we'll be integrating into a number of other government funders to make it electronic and online and supporting telehealth services where they do. Tess, Medinet, what's happening? Uh, uh,
4: in the next four weeks, we are integrating with a private health insurers, so easy access to telehealth consults for all of their um Medicare card holder members Uh, and secondly we're doing a lot to satisfy doctors originally we were focused a lot on um, enabling doctors to do consults in after hours but now we're setting ourselves up to enable a a doctor in their brick and mortar practice with their PMS open Um, but um, you know what they want to be able to do in 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 office hours but as I said a lot of that is around being proactive to reach out to their patient, knowing they've got an uh, appointment in 10 minutes. And then secondly, um, helping with all of that admin with the medical documents and making sure it's um, provided to the consumer or you know the specialist doctor, the pharmacist, etc. cetera.
0: Got it. And Ben, what's happening at Hot Dog?
2: Um, we got two big things coming up in the next week. One is um, we'll um, start posting a video platform. So we'll be able to spit out a unique link into the doctor's schedule, um, as well as to the patient via SMS. Um, rather than having to use Zoom or Skype, et cetera. Um, The other one is um, we'll have a payments gateway so that we can help process gap payments when hopefully they get approved very shortly.
0: Cool. Hey, I did say that was going to be one of the last questions, but I just thought as well, looking at the poll answers, seeing that, you know, maybe over well, 29% of the people who are here are senior managers and 38% of them are executives and most of them are from a a health tech company. I'm going to expect that you know that we're a pretty collaborative industry, being health tech, and many of these people who are attending might be interested in speaking to some of the panelists about um, how they can um, you know work together, either with COVID or something else. But do you guys have a process for um, having conversations about partnerships? Uh, Maybe that might be a good opportunity for anyone that's attending interested in that. Ben, what would a uh, at Health tech who thinks that they would be keen to partner with Hot Doc, uh, how would they uh, get in touch with you or, or with your team?
2: <laughs> um, so we have, I, I'd hate to steal his business, um, we have head of partnerships. His name is Gabe, um, and his email is gabe at hotdoc.com.au. So if you think you've got some cool stuff that you'd like to work with us on, um, email Gabe.
0: Gabe's a cool guy too, so <laughs> we'll just email him and say, hey. Um, <laughs> Tess, what about you?
2: I'll make it simple. Tess
4: at Medinet.com.au.
0: There's a lean structure. No. Um, and <laughs> I noticed that Rami dropped off. I, I, he's a collaborative guy generally. I'm not sure if he's just completely ducked it. But he's <laughs> <laughs> What's
4: he? Rami.wise at
0: Helps.com.au. I can give his mobile number. Uh, Pete, what would people do if they wanted to um, connect with MediPass about integrations or anything?
3: Yeah, Fahad leads up that team. i um, happy to get you in touch with them. You can just send me an email at pw.midipass.com.au.
0: It leads into my last point is that uh, it'd be great. that The panelists will um, uh, stay on for another couple of minutes. We'll turn off the cameras in a tick. And there's still some questions there that are outstanding. Sorry for those that we didn't get to all of those. Thank you, Pete, very much for answering some of those in a very efficient way. Well done. Um, so any of the panelists might jump on and answer some of those that they see that they can. Um, and and please do chat, uh, share your details. If you're another organization wanting to partner with people or to have someone check you out, then do that. Uh, in the meantime, like I said, this episode, you'll be able to check out on the Talking Health Tech podcast, Uh, in a week or two, check out talkinghealthtech.com and you can subscribe through it through all your podcasting um, channels. So um, stay online for a few more minutes and um, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go check out the website, contribute to the forum, listen to other episodes and get in touch with feedback about the show because collaboration starts with a conversation. Speak to you next time.